0: Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Van Cochran. I'm the lead pastor here. Uh, for those of you who are new, introduce myself. Uh, th- that was a, a short video by um, Destiny Rescue. The man that we just heard from is Australian. He moved here to the United States five years ago to bring uh, Destiny Rescue uh, offices and center to the United States here to operate out of the States. And um, they currently live in northern Indiana, and that's where they're centered. So last week, uh, a couple of us had the opportunity to meet the the, uh, local area representative. Uh, They are in the process right now of setting up an office here in Cincinnati. And uh, that that video was made in 2013. Uh, We just thought it it presented him well, and it kind of gave their vision for the ministry, so we wanted you to see it. But I do know they did meet their goal of four hundred in two thousand and thirteen, uh, and their goal this year is eight hundred and uh, we hope to be part of that in sitting down and talking uh, with the with the area rep they shared with us uh, how they actually go about the process of rescuing a uh, a girl It's primarily teenage girls that have been either deceived uh, into Uh, ...becoming prostitutes or their family was deceived and their family gave them... uh, ...a a lot of it happens in the Hill Country where uh, uh, these uh, men will go out and talk to families that have uh, just a number of children and they're barely surviving. And they'll make a presentation to them and tell them, we'll take your, your teenage daughter, we'll give you this amount of money, and we'll give her a job at our restaurant... So you know she 'll be okay and, and and you, as a family, will be better off as well and Of course that 's a lie uh, they they 're literally buying the girls from the families and taking them and forcing them into a prostitution uh, it, This is a christ centered organization um, and, and they they make their approach to the whole thing I, I believe very relational and and the way that it, it, so, it sounds very very well done. Uh, First of all, they are—they do know the local government authorities, and the government authorities know what they're doing. They they will go into a brothel, and they will pay for a girl's time, and then they will sit and talk to her and get to know her. I don't know how many times that takes, but when they have developed relationship with 13-, 14-, 15-year-old girls, 16-year-old girls in these brothels, when they've formed relationship with them, and, um, and, and they feel that there's enough relationship, they will approach them with uh, their plan that if, if this girl wants, they can help her be free. And if, if the girl wants to be free, I mean, they have to want to be, otherwise you can't just take somebody, that's kidnapping. Um, if they want to be free, then Destiny Rescue will go to the owner of the bar or the brothel and pay an additional fee... In order to take the girl out of the actual out of the building, and that's a common practice. People come and pay, uh, and, and you have to pay a certain amount to take take them away from from uh, the the building itself. And then instead of uh, uh, instead of bringing them back, they take them to a safe house. And at the safe house, the girls get uh, a, a lot of medical attention. And I mean, in that whole line of work, they would need a, a lot of medical attention and care. They receive uh, counseling to help with their thought processes. Most of all, they're they're really brought into an atmosphere of the love of Jesus and the gospels shared with them, and uh, the, and many many of them come to know Jesus uh, through this ministry, and th- they go through this restoration process. Uh, there's rescue and then restoration, and finally, uh, what they call reintegration. Where the girl is ready to, in, in some cases, to go back in uh, to her her home of origin, but in many cases not. They do a real thorough background check on these girls to to know what, uh, you know, what their what their history has been and how they how they ended up where they were. But um, it's uh, it just looks like a fantastic ministry, and it is one of the three that we're focusing on in the Freedom Project, which. I introduced uh, to the church two weeks ago and is, is going to run up through Easter. And uh, these, these three ministries uh, that we're going to focus on, I think we have right here uh, locally in Cincinnati, the Lord's Gym in downtown Cincinnati, which uh, works with people coming out of an addiction-type culture. And uh, we're going to bless them. And then there's a ministry in India called Peace Mission India, led by uh, a man that many of us know and many of us have been in a relationship with for many years. And then Destiny Rescue, which is uh, what we are presenting today to you. Uh, it's expensive to free these girls. It's not, it's not um, inexpensive at all. It's $1,500 just to go through the whole rescue phase on average. And then another $1,500, $3,000 to take them through uh, the safe house and the full restoration process with all of, uh, with, with all of the time and, and everything that they pour into them uh, during that period of time. But our goal would be just to raise a big chunk of cash uh, in the tens of thousands of dollars... And uh, be able to know at the end of this process that we've uh, freed and restored 10, 12. I don't know how many of, of these uh, girls we'll, we will be able to, to be involved with in freeing and restoring. But uh, we have one more short video to show you about Destiny Rescue. Then I'll be back up uh, to give the message for the morning. I think that can be pretty moving emotionally, especially if you have daughters or if, if you have granddaughters. And uh, you, you can picture these these young women are, are really just like them. And they are in this horrible life space that uh, they, they will never uh, get out of, apart from someone actually stepping in and uh, literally rescuing them. But as heart-rending as it is, and many causes that that uh, exist around the world, as heartrending as they can be, this freedom project is not about us giving uh, out of emotion or giving because at a moment in time we were moved with uh, with with a, a degree of emotion or uh, we were impacted. We don't want to. Uh, we don't want to give out of guilt or out of any sense of of pressure. What, what our desire is, what my desire, what I believe the Lord's desire for us is, is that we will look at these ministries. We'll let, we'll let them sink into our hearts and we'll present um, another one next week. The Lord's gym. We'll look at that next week. We, we let them sink into our hearts and we let that, let them have a, a heart impact that we want God's heart we want God's heart. I don't want to respond out of the emotion of a moment. I want to begin to see things through God's eyes and understand through His eyes so that I'm not just saying, oh, that's so touching here. What do I have in my checkbook? I'll give this. But that I, I, I'm, it's impacting my life. That there is a lifestyle impact. And that's the goal of this whole Freedom Project uh, as wonderful as the ministries are, it's almost like that's a, a side benefit. We get to bless them. But at the same time, uh, we, we get freed. We get freed of the fear of want. We, we get to take a step that will free our families from this uh, scarcity mindset that we've been talking about. And we, we begin to live with this abundance mindset because our hearts are focused on the things that the heart of God are focused on. And we're, we're living with the priorities that Jesus lived with and that he gives to us. So we can know that we're going to be able to walk in the abundance of God and always have what we need to do what he wants us to do. And always have more left over so that we have some uh, ample to give away. Now, that we've been talking about freedom and um, this, this freedom from fear and anxiety, which really plagues uh, our culture, I, I think every culture, um, some cultures are so, uh, some cultures are at, at a level such as ours where it, it is more of an issue uh, because there's, um, uh, some cultures live just day to day. They're subsistence cultures. And they don't know where they're going to get their food for their next meal. And that just becomes a part of the depressed, ingrained mindset of life. In our culture, where we're really fairly wealthy, um, ha- having that wealth leads us to worry about it. It leads us to fear what's going to happen to it. And yet Jesus told us we don't have to fear and we shouldn't fear. In Matthew six thirty-three and 34... Jesus said, seek first His kingdom, God's kingdom. And in this context, He's talking about food and clothing and shelter. And He says, seek His kingdom and righteousness. And all these things, the food, the clothing, the shelter, the transportation, uh, what, what we need to survive today, it will be added to you. You'll get it. God will provide if, if, if we are able to grasp the heart of Jesus and allow through the Holy Spirit's presence for him to show us God's heart for the world, and then we engage our lives on that track, then we can be assured, Jesus is telling us, that we're going to have all that we need. So he says, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So we don't need to worry. We don't need to fret. We don't need to fear. And, and that's what this Freedom Project is about, is us breaking the stronghold of fear in our lives, in our church's life, so that we can be everything God wants us to be and have the impact on the lives of the thousands and thousands of people around us that need Jesus and that need to be freed. Now, we've been using a story from the Old Testament the past few weeks uh, past couple of weeks to uh, introduce this whole idea. And uh, that, that story comes from 1 Samuel. It occurs early in uh, the stage of, of Israel's uh, period of time where they actually had kings. And their very first king was named Saul. And uh, King Saul took his army out into the field in order to wage war against the Philistines. Now, it was, it was a war of liberation because they had been enslaved by the Philistines for generations. And so Saul has his army out in the field. And by the way, a little footnote. It says that the Philistines had so dominated uh, Israel that they didn't even allow them to have blacksmiths that knew how to make swords. So Saul's, out of Saul's entire army, there are only two swords he has a sword, and his son Jonathan has a sword. The rest of them are just fighting with whatever farm implements they, they could bring along to use as weapons. And, and so they're encamped, and the enemy Philistine army is encamped in another location, and they're, kind of, they're sending patrols out and trying to decide where are they going to attack, how are they going to attack. One morning, Saul's son Jonathan got up and said, I'm going to do something. And he went out and he found himself at the foot of a very steep hill, a a cliff. And at the top of that hill was a Philistine outpost, at least 20, 25, 30, maybe as many as 40 or 50 Philistine troops there. Jonathan asked God, God, do you want us to go up, up this hill and attack this outpost? And God told him yes. And so Jonathan, based upon trusting God, took this bold step, crawled up the side of that hill and slew 20 of the Philistine soldiers within a half-acre space. Not, not much space at all. Ferocious battle. Jonathan's bold action, Jonathan's faith, then did something. It released the presence and power of God into the, the entire battlefield. For miles around, the kingdom of God broke through. For miles around, even places that... Miles away, they had no idea about this battle that Jonathan had just fought. Suddenly, the troops from Israel suddenly were strengthened. They suddenly found themselves emboldened. And the troops from the Philistines suddenly found themselves panicking and fearful. And not knowing what to do because God's presence came. All because Jonathan took down that stronghold. Just in a moment's time, the entire battlefield changed because Jonathan was willing to attack that stronghold and take it down. Now, Jonathan made a declaration in the process of that. He, taught, he, he made a declaration that shows us what type of mindset he had when Jonathan said this in 1 Samuel 14. He said, nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Look at that. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Now, how many of us believe that? You know, we, we believe that. Don't you believe that? I mean, we will believe that. But how many of us are willing to count ourselves in the few when it comes to, to that, that whole battle? It's easier to say, yeah, God can deliver by many or by few, but I sure hope there are many. You know, I sure hope there are a lot. But with Jonathan, he was willing to count himself among the few. That's where his faith fit in. He really believed that. And then he takes this bold step. And just totally knocks out this enemy stronghold. And we're talking about strongholds in our lives, in our culture's life, in our church's life. Jonathan, he had a a mentality of abundance. He had an abundance mindset. God will provide for us to do what God wants us to do. Now what I want to look at today is the contrasting mindset of his father Saul. Because King Saul's mindset was not one of abundance. King Saul's mindset was one of scarcity. And while Jonathan is out there in the field engaging in this battle, changing the day, changing the whole thing from a kingdom of God perspective and releasing the presence of the kingdom because of his faith and his action, his father, King Saul, is back in the camp. And it doesn't tell us exactly what Saul was doing, but uh, we know that when Saul got word that something was happening among the Philistines, because he had lookouts, and a lookout, you know, is up on a high hill, and he sees and he runs back to Saul and tells Saul, Something's happening. The Philistines are panicking. Now, Saul, rather than taking action, he called a war council. And he he got some of his guys together. He got the priests to come and bring the Ark of the Covenant. And they were going to use the Ark of the Covenant to try to determine what's God's next step. And that sounds like a reasonable thing, doesn't it? He was the leader. It sounds like uh, uh, he's checking out the details. He wants to get all of his ducks in a row. But when you look at the life of Saul overall, and you see what happens uh, next in, in this battle this day, and you see what, what wh- how Saul's conducted himself... It's pretty clear that Saul was maybe truly looking for God's leading, but it was a self-protective type of a thing. It wasn't like Jonathan, God can save whether by many or by few, so God just tell us what to do and we'll do it. It was more of a, I don't want to make a mistake. I don't want to lose what I have. I want to hold on to what I have. And so even Saul's seeking of God's direction had this core of self-centeredness in it that is the result of a scarcity mindset. You see, when we live with a scarcity mindset, and the scarcity mindset always is worried about, is there enough? Is there, do we have enough troops to take that stronghold? You have to have a, a overwhelming superiority to attack a stronghold. And, and in Jonathan's case, it was just him and his armor bearer. Do we have enough to do that? Uh, an abundance mindset asks, what's God want us to do? Where's God leading? Truly, where's God leading? Whatever he wants us to do, we're going to do because we know God's going to provide for that. A scarcity mindset might ask what's God want us to do at some point in the process, but the real heart of what's going to motivate and what's going to move is a heart of fear and anxiety that there's not going to be enough, and how are we going to protect ourselves? So because of Jonathan's boldness, a great victory was won that day when uh, the, the lookout came to Saul and told him that the Philistine troops are now at the stage where they're actually fighting each other and killing each other. Then Saul did something. Then he mustered his army and they went out into the battle and uh, Israel won the battle that day. First Samuel fourteen twenty three tells us, so the Lord rescued Israel that day. The Lord rescued Israel, but I want to say not because of Saul, not because of his faith, but because of Jonathan and Jonathan's boldness. And the very next verse tells us what Saul did. Listen to this. As we look at what Saul did, we see what was really in his heart. In chapter 14 of 1 Samuel, verse 24, here's what we read. Now, the Israelites were in distress that day. What do you mean? It was a day of victory. The enemies panicking and killing each other, yet the Israelites were in distress that day because Saul had bound the people under an oath, saying, Cursed be anyone who eats food before evening comes, before I have avenged myself on my enemies. So none of the troops tasted food. So this battle starts sometime in the morning, and, and they are out there fighting and expending energy. But Saul had said, no one eats till the battle is over. Now, that was a foolish decision. I mean, he's, he's, just as Jonathan had made a proclamation... God can save whether by many or by few. Here Saul is making a, a, a declaration. We're made a dec- we going to do that again today. But a declaration about who God is, about what he will do, and what we can trust him to do. And Saul is making a declaration in this. But it's a declaration that comes out of anxiety and fear and panic. And when, when we take this mindset that Saul had, one of scarcity... What it does is it confuses our thinking. We end up making stupid decisions. But I think more than anything else, it makes everything turns back in to me. It all comes back to me. What's going to happen to me? Well, you know, how am I going to survive? Do I have enough? Whereas the, the whole idea of trusting God and forging ahead is, you know, first of all, focused on God. But then what does God want me to do? And with Saul, you see these words. He said, No one eats until I have avenged myself on my enemies. You see that. You see what Saul Saul was being... This was all about Saul. It wasn't about trusting God. And that's what a scarcity mentality leads us to. It it leads us to focus more on ourselves than we should and make decisions based on that. Now, what happens in this declaration... It was a foolish declaration, but because Saul was king, it was still binding. It was binding in the natural realm, and it was binding in the spiritual realm, because Saul was king, and God had placed Saul in that role. the way God works is he gives us authority. He gave Saul authority, and it was up to Saul to decide how he was going to use that authority. Jonathan had authority. He went out and used it to attack the enemy. Saul had authority, and he exercised his authority out of fear and anxiety and, uh, and, and self-centeredness. Now, nevertheless, God had given him that authority, just like God gives us authority. Jesus said, I give you authority to go out and to um, to uh, heal the sick and to cast out demons and proclaim the freedom of the kingdom of God. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have that authority and we could just ask the simple question of ourselves, well, what am I doing with it? Well, here, th- this is what Saul did with the authority God had given him. And so Jonathan, not knowing that this order had been given, Jonathan ran across some honey, a honeycomb. He ate honey. He was refreshed. He was ready to keep on fighting. But then uh, the other troops told Jonathan about the, um, the, literally the curse Saul had made on anyone that ate and because Saul was the king, even though it was a foolish declaration, God honored it. And God lifts his hand of blessing from the whole thing. And Saul sees that. He realizes the presence of God, there's something going on here. And, and so Saul then, in another rash moment, I, I look at it like this. It's as if God's looking at Saul and saying, Saul, I, I've given you this authority. You know, I've given you a son like Jonathan. And I've given you these troops, and I'm with you. My power's with you. But, dude, you're messing it up. You're just not handling this well. And so I'm just going to back up until you recognize and until you humble yourself. And so the Lord backs up off, uh, withdraws his presence. And Saul sees that. And then Saul makes this other very rash declaration. He says, well, whoever ate food, someone must have eaten food. And that's why God's hand has been lifted. And he says, whoever it is, even if it's my own son, Jonathan, he's going to be executed. What a rash statement. But that's what fear does. Fear leads us to, to make stupid decisions. Rash statements. Controlling statements. Saul's just desperately trying to control everything. And so they eventually find out that it is Jonathan who had eaten, and Saul is, is uh, ready to execute his own son. And the only thing that kept him from doing that was the other officers in Saul's army stepped in and said, man, you can't do this. You cannot, you can't execute Jonathan over this. And Saul, uh, still does, he doesn't repent. He doesn't recognize his foolishness through the whole thing. But when we make decisions out of fear, when we live out of this scarcity mentality, we, we can't think right. There's a key verse we've looked at a few times already, but 2 Timothy 1.7, I want you to see it again. This is a powerful verse. It says, God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Okay, God's not the author of fear. And what this is telling us is that what God wants us to have is His power. He wants us to experience His love and sound thinking. Fear cuts us off from the power of God because we, we draw back. We're, we're not believing God. We're not taking risks. We're not stepping out. Fear cuts us off from love because fear is self-centered and love is outwardly centered. And fear messes up our minds. We, we don't have a sound mind, so we make poor judgments and poor decisions. Do you know, in, in our culture, I was looking this up the other day online, and I, and I looked up uh, uh, different, different um, versions of the thought of what are the greatest financial fears in our country. And two or three websites came up with this fear as one of the top fears financially in our culture. The fear was this, the fear of talking to your spouse about money. Just the simply the fear of sitting down and talking to your spouse about money, about budgeting, about hey, you know what, I put this on the credit card last month, maybe I shouldn't have, but I did. There's there's, there's this fear that spouses have that that keeps spouses from communicating. Fear of budgeting, uh, the fear, it 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 impacts relationships. When we live in fear, it impacts everything. When we live in fear and this fear of want, when we live in this sense of scarcity, then there's almost like this. uh, There's this extreme, these extremes that people can go to where every penny and every nickel is saved, and we become minor uh, misers, you know, like Scrooge, where our total security is in what we have. We can't spend anything, but the other extreme is um, you don't know when you're ever going to get this again, and we just got this income tax return, and I know we have bills to pay, and I know there's going to be stuff coming up later in the summer that we're going to need to repair in the house, but let's buy a large screen TV because we deserve it. And so the, the, the fear of not having enough, scarcity, can lead people into just making all sorts of foolish decisions. And so uh, we, we see that in the, in the life of Saul here. But what God wants us to do is to experience His love. And when we experience His love, then fear dissipates. In fact, in 1 John 4.18, it says this. It says, There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Okay, the Bible tells us God is love. And that's 1 John. That's kind of one of the running themes of 1 John. God is love. And then he says here that there is no fear in love when we're really experiencing God's love. And you see, it it needs to be more than just um, a memorized verse or a song, Jesus Loves Me, This I Know. I mean, it, it needs to be more than just an intellectual thing. We've got to experience the love of God. We've got to experience the love of God. That's why we take so much time to worship here. You know, our prayer is that as we focus our hearts on God, and really when we're, when we're singing these songs, we are making declarations of what we believe about God if we really engage with it at a heart level. And we, we just pray, Holy Spirit, Come. We want people to experience God's love. Uh, Romans tells us that the love of God has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit's presence. And so that, that's... In order to overcome this stronghold, we've got to experience God's love. And that's my prayer for you, that you just... You experience God's love in a new way. In a new way where it's just like a thing you feel. It's not just a feeling. It's not It's not an emotion but it is something you just—it's just like the atmosphere in the room changes. The air gets thick. There's just something when God's presence, when He reveals His presence, His manifest presence. There's something about that that—it releasing His love to us. That's one of the things that happens, or other things that can happen when God's manifest presence uh, is 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 revealed. But experiencing His love calms our hearts. It gives us this sense of, God, you do know who I am. You do know I'm here. You know, sometimes a simple prophetic word that uh, a person will give to another person, that something they couldn't have known on their own, but they speak it to that person. And, you know, I just have a sense that you're having a real hard time with the person that you sit beside at work. And there's some relational issue going on there. Am I right about that? I mean, this happens in our small group system all the time and and it, and it happens in prayer ministry and in in relational ministries but that person that that's, that when that's right and that person says you're right how did you know that man that the one that person goes away saying god knows where i am God knows what's happening in my life. God cares about me. And just in that, they experience the love of God. And there's this sense of confidence that comes into their life where they, they, they don't have to live in this scarcity mentality, this scarcity attitude any longer. But um, we are focusing on this Freedom Project because we, we, we want, we believe God's calling us all to take a bold step like Jonathan did, a step of freedom. Into freedom, and well, there, there's there, there's a guy in the New Testament that made a declaration. A man named Zacchaeus. Uh, he he had focused his whole life on money. His security was in money. His success was in money. He took a job that would be the equivalent today of being a loan shark, and and he amassed wealth. And he was an outcast in his culture, and he he was a pariah, viewed as a pariah in his culture. And yet he was very wealthy. And one day, Zacchaeus hears about Jesus. And he hears that Jesus is this teacher that doesn't condemn people, that no matter how far you might seem from God, Jesus sees you as a child of God. And, And he's willing to love you and to share the love of God with you. And so when Zacchaeus hears that Jesus is coming through his town, Zacchaeus does something that men of his stature would never do. He completely sets aside his dignity, and he climbs up into a tree so he can see this traveling preacher. I mean, that's something a guy like this wouldn't do. So he's willing because of his spiritual hunger. You know, the wealth didn't satisfy. He needs needs to know God. Because of his spiritual hunger, he just casts aside his dignity and his pride, and he climbs up that tree to see Jesus. And lo and behold, Jesus stops and speaks to him, and they go home to have dinner together that night. And in the course of that meal that they shared together, and Jesus interacting with him and sharing truth with him, Zacchaeus's heart was changed. And here's what he says. It says, but Zacchaeus stood up. Okay, he stands up. into the whole dinner party, he makes this statement. He says, Lord, look, look, Lord. Here and now, I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation's come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. So Zacchaeus stands up and he says, I'm going to give half my wealth to the poor. And then anybody I've cheated, I will pay back four times the amount. Look, a guy like this cheated a lot of people. So I I think he's divesting himself of at least 75, 80% of his wealth right now. But let's just stick with that first part, half of what I own to the poor. That's pretty significant, isn't it? I mean, this is a wealthy guy. Now, some people would look at that and say, well, yeah, but I can't identify with that because I'm not wealthy like him. You know, it'd be easy to do that if you're wealthy. If you have a whole lot of money, it would be a whole lot easier to give half of it away, wouldn't it? Doesn't it seem like that would be true? I mean, the question I would ask then is this, why aren't there more billionaires doing this? If, if it's easier, the more money you have, then why don't we see more and more people just saying, well, I'm going to cut my, my wealth in half. Half of it goes to the poor, the other half. I mean, it's, it's not easy, whether you have little or much. It's not the amount, it is the attachment that that money has to our hearts that is the thing. And oftentimes when we have just a little bit, it can have just as strong of an attachment on our hearts as it can for someone who has much. But there's no amount that makes a person feel secure. There's no magic number. And so it's, it's, what, what Zacchaeus did here was to get in touch with the heart of God. And then he broke a stronghold in his life when he said, "'I am giving, and I'm going to give to it hurts.'" And I'm going to give sacrificially to the poor, and I'm going to make sure that I'm dealing with integrity with uh, with everyone else in my life. And Jesus says, "Today salvation's come to this house." I think that means more than uh, Zacchaeus is going to heaven when he dies. You know, that's just that's just one part of salvation. What this means is that Zacchaeus was set free. He was set free, and it. Sometimes it uh, c- comes to us that uh, the, the, the wealthy give, the, the poor can't give, but giving generously isn't just the prerogative of the wealthy. It really is the privilege of, of all of us. Remember the, the woman with just two pennies. She went in and she gave everything she had, and, and it, uh, it blessed the heart of Jesus. Well, in 2 Corinthians 8, uh, Apostle Paul was talking to the Corinthians and he's talking to them about the macedonians and the macedonians were poor i mean they were really really poor and he tells about how out of their deep poverty in verses 1 through 3 he says they're they're in a severe trial and he uses the word extreme poverty out of their extreme poverty it welled up to rich generosity and they gave as they were able and even beyond their ability they gave and so th- this, this concept of giving is something that, as we see, if you read these chapters, you see the freedom that happens. But in verse 7 of 2 Corinthians 8, Paul says this. Now he's talking to the Corinthians at this point. And he says to them, "...since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving." What he's telling them is, <clears throat> you are using the gifts you have—the the, your speaking gifts and your serving gifts. You're serving and you're giving your time, and you're doing it all, and you're really involved. But Paul says, if you really want to break—if you really want to break this stronghold of scarcity, you've got to give your money. And see, there's there's something about our money that just has the ability to have this stranglehold on our hearts. And Jesus knew. And the, the the Bible teaches over and over again that we've got to break that. And that's what this Freedom Project is all about. And that's why none of the money stays here. It's not about us. It's about out there. We're going to give it all away. But what's going to happen as we do is there are going to be people that are... As you pray and as you consider over the upcoming weeks what God's going to lead you to give and what you can sacrifice in order to give, and as you go through that process of giving... For many people here, there are just going to be things that are just going to be freed in our hearts. And we're going to free not only our own lives, but we're going to free families' lives. We're going to free children's lives for generations by by breaking the stronghold of scarcity. And then Paul says that God uh, will generously provide all we need, so we'll always have everything we need and plenty left over to share with others. So uh, we trust God that He's going to do that in our midst, and that, that's what He's doing. And um, we're, we're, we're going to make a declaration ourselves right now, so it's going to come up on the screen. And I just want to say, we did this last week, but if you can do this, and, and if you can say these words from the heart, then join in with this, okay? But let's all stand, and then we're going to go into worship for the rest of our service time here. Father God, we, we thank you that you are the provider. And uh, we just, we do, we thank you for that. And, and we want to affirm right now our trust in you as we speak these words out together. So read this with me. We believe that through Jesus Christ, we are set free. We reject fear and anxiety. We embrace the power, the love, and the sound mind that our Father has given us. We embrace our mission to proclaim and release the power and life of the kingdom to our families, our community, to our city, and to the nations. We believe God is a good Father. He provides all we need and more. God will provide abundantly for our needs. He will give us extra so we can share with others. We will give sacrificially and joyfully to destroy spiritual strongholds, to free addicts in our city, to free young women in India, to free children from lives of slavery. We are free sons and daughters of God, empowered to release Christ's freedom to others in our world. We will do this to the glory of God the Father, in the name and authority of Jesus Christ, And in the power of the Holy Spirit, amen.